Welcome to episode one of First Date Takes. Um, my name is Walker Chavatel, um, and this is our first crack at a uh, podcast. Um, in the midst of this pandemic, we obviously have uh, had a lot of downtime, so we figured we would um, start a podcast, like I said. Um, but just a little bit on my on uh, who I am. Like I said, my name is Walker Chavatel. I'm senior here at UD, uh, University of Delaware, if you're not watching in Delaware. Um, and just a little bit about me. I'm a, a political science major, and I am continuing my education next year at University of Florida. Um, I'm getting my PhD in democratic theory um, with a specific interest in um, academic capitalism and the intersection of that with democratic citizenship. So kind of a mouthful there, but we do have kind of an interdisciplinary um, group of people on the podcast. But yeah, I'll hand it off to Nick now, I guess. Yeah, what, what's up, guys? My name is Nick Kilmer. I'm a second year student at uh, the University of Delaware studying political public policy with minors in political science and journalism. Uh, I don't have as long a list as Walker say on what I'm doing in grad school because, like I said, I'm a second year student, but my interests surround uh, criminal justice, uh, government operations, health, and social welfare. And uh, with that, I'll pass it off to Cohill. Hello, everyone. So my list is probably shorter than the, the both of theirs. Um, my name is John Cohill. I am a sophomore at the University of Delaware, where I'm study, studying public policy and administration with a minor in business admin. Um, I believe I have a focus within education, um, specifically higher education. Um, I am I'm involved with a lot of groups and a lot of uh, advisory boards that kind of just consist of uh, higher education within the University of Delaware, and I think that's a very interesting topic. Um, I think we're going to get right into it of uh, our topic here. I'm going to give a quick update regarding uh, this pandemic that we are in right now, and the reason why we kind of started this podcast to kind of get some some things off our mind to release some stress by starting a podcast, um, but also to inform people about what's going on in the world and then our opinions on that. Uh, we like to say that this podcast is about people, power, and politics. If you combine all three of those things, this pretty, makes up, pretty much makes up the entire world and our country. So just a little update. Uh, today is April 1st, April Fool's Day. Um, uh-huh. In terms of... In terms of cases within the United States, we have a total cases of 186,000 um, with a total of deaths of 3,603. Um, pretty large numbers. We are not, we are still in the climb um, of this curve, as we would say. Um, more specifically within Delaware, we have 368 cases with 11 deaths and we are quickly rising, sadly. So um, uh, it's pretty, pretty different times we're in right now. A lot of unknowns for the future um, in terms of the country, in terms of the world, but also in terms of education. So um, we are all students at the University of Delaware. So I think we're going to get right into our first topic of um, the reality of online education uh, within higher education, within K through 12, across this country and what kind of, what it kind of looks like. Um, so I'm going to push it back to Walker and voice the first question of like, what is the issues with online online education right now? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, let me just start. You're, you're freaking good at, uh, you're good at this. You're a natural. Uh, I feel very bad about myself after my introduction, after what you just said, but, uh, Thank you. um, 
Okay, so obviously online education, a um, lot of different problems that are right. I read something the other day that was that something along the lines of only 60% of Chicago students have internet connection, um, let alone imagine the, uh, the type of environment that these students are in. In Chicago, a lot of the times it's not the greatest households. And that's for me something that I took for granted, definitely. When I kind of, when this all began, it was, to me, it was going to be this kind of easy, easy uh, kind of uh, transition into online education. And until Nick actually posted something on a story about how online education kind of services research inequality, I really didn't think about it too much. A lot of kids are going home and they're not going into the best environments or they don't have the resources to actually complete the work. And among other things, like this virus is just tearing people apart anyway. Like before, before, I was going to talk about online education. I was, I was going to say, um, I think we do need to talk about what, what's the best route to take here. Do we want the the panic mode or do we want the kind of carelessness mode that I think we see? I mean, I, I at least Coho, you know, that I have friends who don't really give give a you know a shit about what's happening, um, but then I also have friends who are panicking. So, and you know, that's the type of the stuff you see in the news. They 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 are putting these really um, dramatic headlines um, out on the news, and a lot of people are are uh, feeding onto that. But the the issue is is not whether which side to take. It's it you need to find a common ground between freaking out and not caring enough because both both have their consequences. Um, I am as you can see what happened with Trump. Uh, beginning of this whole thing, how he downplayed it, calling it a hoax. And then um, you can just see how that educates our country to, to, to not treat it seriously when when you're taking uh, these sorts of comments from the president, from the highest authority, who's telling you that this is not something to worry about. How do you expect 18-year-old kids to really react to that? They're going to see their president saying it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to care. Now look what's on our hands. So, I mean, Trump's response to all this could be a totally another conversation to have. Um, but in terms of, I think there needs to be a conversation about, guys, this is a serious situation, but freaking out obviously isn't a solution and not caring obviously isn't a solution. Yeah, I definitely think we could get into a full episode on Trump's response and the response of the country in terms of this coronavirus. Um, it's crazy to think that we've gotten this far and and we still don't know what is true and what is not based on news, based on misinformation uh, from the president. So um, I know hindsight will be 2020 when we're all out of this and we can have a conversation about what was wrong, uh, what went right, um, <laughs> who's responsible for the lack of action, the overreaction. But to get back to our point about online education, Nick, do you want to touch on specifically online education at the University of Delaware? I don't know. I, I think that the setup for Zoom is honestly pretty flawed. Obviously, you, have the, you see like the issues with Zoom bombing and stuff like that's just obnoxious and kind of childish. Honestly, it's just except for except for the no Bros ones. Those are kind of funny <laughs> every time on Instagram. It's it's just a little bit of comedy in the day, but um. 
three hundred million people around the world are losing or having their education altered in some crazy way, and we're fortunate enough that we get to continue our studies on uh, online and through through Zoom, even though it's weird as hell. Like, it's just a completely different environment, and it's really important to like set up a different study section away for you, so uh, you can kind of get it normalized again. I was going to ask, like, what do you guys think about it? How have you guys been handling it? John, you want to take that? Yeah, so um, I think the reality is that education is not everyone's top priority right now. It's the safety and well-being of first ourselves and then our family members. So understanding understanding that um, this is a new situation for everyone, including administration within universities and schools across the country that we kind of have to take it for what it is. No one has ever been in this situation and yes, it sucks and yes, it's different. Um, but I think it's, it's something we have to adapt and change with, with the time that we're in. Um, for us as university students, I feel like we're at an advantage at an advantage being, um, we have the resources to kind of continue our education and uh, earn our degree and earn our course credits. But it's a different story when it comes to K through 12 education. No, well, again, like a lot of those kids aren't getting the same situation. So they're not, they don't have parents capable of homeschooling them or giving them that attention that they need to actually learn this stuff every day. Like the kindergartners and everything, like that's going to be completely different. And some mm-hmm. people don't have the money to afford childcare especially when things are so tight right now. Well, how do you guys think uh, UD is responding to this in general? I'm sure John has some in, some some stuff to say here. Yeah, I guess I'll jump right in. Um, I like to take a, like a back seat and let other people give me their opinions on how the university is kind of handling situations because I kind of get to sit in some of these conversations that the university is having and um, everyone wants we're in a society that everyone loves instant uh, satisfaction. Are we in a society? In a society. We're not in a society. Yeah, we're starting to think we don't live in a society anymore. But we live in a society where instant gratification <laughs> and satisfaction is a thing, and we always want that. And everyone really wants um, the university to respond right away and have a definitive answer, but... Everything takes time. Like they put into consideration every little detail. So that's why I get frustrated with students when they say, well, the university hasn't responded. They haven't told us what we're doing. The university hasn't done X, Y, and Z, but the university is still working on X, Y, and Z, N, A, B, C, D, F, G, H, whatever. So I feel for the university administration during this time, because one, it's brand new. No one's ever had to deal with it. And two, they're dealing with a lot of moving parts. How can you halt a 30,000 student institution that has 20,000 um, faculty and staff? Like, I don't, I don't think we as students fully comprehend the amount of work that goes into running university and stopping it and then automatically changing it to something different. Oh, no, yeah. dude, I completely agree. And there's really... There's really no way for them to act faster than they did. Like, maybe you look back and say, like, why did you wait till there was one confirmed case? But they, we didn't know 
well, they didn't know the severity of like what it would be. I, I'm not. I've, I haven't been so concerned with um, the deadlines or, or these. When's the university going to say this? When's the university going to say? I take more um, insight. I take more attention to the the words they're choosing, the way that they're conveying these messages. And I've, I mean, I've been pretty pleased by how sympathetic they're being towards the whole situation. It seems like they care quite a bit. Um, I know the political science department. I'm getting videos from you know the head of the department, um, ten minute videos of them talking to us. But I, I mean, I do know my sister's um, good friend is a um, law student at ASU, and the situation couldn't be any different there. It's um, the, the law students. You know, we have the whole pass fail situation happening now. But they have to tell, um, they have to give, if they choose the pass-fail, they have to give the administration, like, paragraphs as to why, you know, how, how is coronavirus affecting you? Tell me, like, more about your family issues. They're asking for all this information. Um, whereas I think UD, like, at least my professors are, you know, this, the, the moment that we start to talk, the moment we start to reach out to them in, uh, in stress or, or any sort of... Uh, situation that this pandemic is really putting onto us they seem to be very understanding and um from the top it seems like the president of ud um a lot of administrators very understanding so in terms of what you're saying earlier john i think we do um at least i i do also get stressed or get agitated at some of the students who aren't um don't understand what what it's like to be in those positions and also um there are universities that are definitely responding in worse ways um and so yeah in terms of uh where we're at right now um obviously we haven't made a call and commencement um which shouldn't be a top priority but it seems like we're they're telling us enough information to where we're staying calm and they're conveying it in a reasonable way in my opinion yeah i think you bring up a good point about um, society's priorities on tests and scores and what that means for the future. Um, we as a society, especially in uh, very specific roles such as lawyers, doctors, med school, put a very high price and priority on test scores and grades. And I think that's going to come up in debate here soon in the near future about the future of med school and how it's going to change in terms of what is a priority mm -hmm. um, is really scoring an A in a class a priority for you to get into med school or is it showing that yeah maybe I got a C but I was assisting during this pandemic <laughs> as a nurse yeah like yeah when are we going to take into consideration like personal experience or um, how we respond in times of crisis into consideration for becoming, um, uh, say a doctor or a lawyer or all these high level, um, positions in society that we put them at, um, just based on a test score, just based on a grade point average. So I think that's a really unique thing that I hope kind of changes and we kind of lay off this, um, pressure on students and grad students to kind of, um, reach this this unachievable bar, especially during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think what, what is happening at ASU is um, the reason they're being so strict and the reason they're being so meticulous and asking the students what's happening 
is because in the graduate community, you need to maintain a certain level of competition. You need to have, you know, there's rankings that come out every year. And students who are choosing pass fail, that obviously doesn't look great on the integrity of the university, the um, academic, uh, you know, side of the university definitely takes a little bit of a hit when it's all of its grad students are taking pass fail classes, which is strange though, because it seems like when this first started happening, the most prestigious of universities, UCLA, I want to say Harvard, Princeton type of Ivy League schools were the first ones to kind of call the, okay, um, class online students get out. Um, so I don't know what, it seems like, you know, ASU is a, is right on the, the, the brink of the top 20 university for law school, I want to say. So I think those schools have to keep this level of competition and they can't make, you know, the certain easy, maybe not easy choices, but the, the, the choices that a Harvard or a Yale can make. And I think I've talked to you before in the same sense about how Delaware is, is competes with a lot of universities in this sense, uh, the Kentucky, they want to see, they want to pretend, or they want to this image of a better school. So when you're consistently, you know, going after an image like that, there's there's sacrifice you have to make. Um, it just sucks that you have to make those sacrifices in the middle of a complete shit show, which is right now. All right. So what have you guys been up to during quarantine? Uh, I was gonna reread uh, the, the Hobbit. Uh, so it's a quick read, gets you through the day. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally <laughs> quick. What is it like? Six hundred pages. I think. I think it's like. For all the listeners yeah. out there, uh, Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien is um, one of the greatest authors of all time. Oh yeah, but, um, that? It's it's about three hundred pages long. Is it? It's not Lord of the Rings, Walker. Have you have you heard of the the Cimmerillion? Which is uh it's supposed I, to be before I, The Hobbit. Uh, it's a great one. But back on topic, I mean, for me, it's tough. I'm in the midst of like defending my thesis, and that is a process which pretty much is. I mean, it's it's meant to be in person, and you have to consistently meet with professors, and that. So that, I mean, that's a it's it's tough and. But like, like I said, I might've said it earlier, both of my sisters are professors um, and being at home is not ideal um, with two people who are pretty much on Zoom classes all day, add me on Zoom class all day, three people in a house that need complete silence, essentially. Topic. I feel like I cannot turn my TV on without seeing Cuomo's face. Is that just me? That's a good thing though. That's a good thing, I believe. Why, though? You, you have 60,000 cases in New York, and he's the governor of New York. Ah, uh, dude, I think um, more than doing, that, right? Uh, probably by now, more than 60,000 um, cases. We're at 80,000. My county a, has 300 and about 40 deaths, I think. So, he's, think he, it, he's, I feel like he could, doing, totally, he could totally use this as a, uh, as a, a presidential, presidential platform tool. thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's gonna come out there and 100%. be like, "Yeah." Which I mean, I can't imagine our president right now. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't. I mean, if you can imagine anyone other than Donald Trump in office right now, um, I just sometimes I just sit down. And I'm like, if anyone else, anyone else other than Trump was in office, how much different shit would be? I mean, like, 
Cuomo's acting like a president right now. He's someone that I feel like I can watch. And uh, by the time I, he's done his speech, I feel like I've, you know, I feel more comfortable. And that's what I want. Um, he says it, he says, you know, the facts. And Do you feel like he could tuck you in at night, Walker? Do you feel like he could be your own? I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe. It sounds like you got a very nice relationship with Cuomo. I don't know, man. Have you guys met? Dude, they uh, hang out all the way. Walker and Cuomo? Uh, yeah, he's dude. a fellow socialist, yeah. He's not he's a socialist. absolutely not a socialist. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm not a socialist either. He's a, Democratic, he's a Democratic governor of New York. He is not a socialist. No, but he's going to run. I mean, he'll probably run. So, John, what are you thinking about, like, the benefits that we could see from this online education for the next however many months? So, some of the positives I've seen come out of this online education during a global pandemic is that we see some of these uh, organizations, uh, such as Pearson or these educational organizations, kind of giving the resources for free um yes that's good but why weren't they giving them for free in the long term i know that companies need to make money but the fact that companies and organizations are giving out uh, textbooks for free uh free courses free online uh, pretty much anything that you kind of need to succeed online companies are kind of giving them out um, to ensure that people succeed or they they have the ability to somewhat succeed um, I think that's one of the positives we could be seen from this. Um, you can also talk about the negatives of that these organizations should be giving out this stuff for free anyway, but it's kind of, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Um, you're talking about free textbooks, access to online textbooks, access to all access to online books in general. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess another benefit in the eyes of the student could be, a lot of universities are opening up grading to pass fail. Um, I don't know for me necessarily, I'm probably not going to choose that option, but I know a lot of people are afraid of, uh, you know, their grades um, being hit through this whole process. And it looks like a lot of universities are going towards pass fail. I mean, I don't know if that's something that you guys are going to try to choose to do. Um, but I don't know. I think it's definitely an option, but I don't. I don't think I'll actually do it because I need things to count towards my GPA. Like I, I want to. Yeah, I think it's a game game time decision for myself. Um, we'll see at the yeah. end of the semester. Game time. Football. Game time. We'll see at the end of the semester how well I did, how well I didn't do. Um, I know I've read online that people are talking about kind of educating people have a better understanding of what coronavirus is and kind of uh, what viruses are in general. So like there's been an increase in like health awareness. So that's a positive that's come out of this. Um, People have a better understanding of their health and what's important and how to take care of themselves. So Mm -hmm. you've seen that come out of this. um, Yeah. But I mean, I think, I mean, I don't want to play the pessimist, but um, do you do you think that people are going to really take this as, okay, I need to, I need to start washing my hands more. I need to start being, I need to start paying more attention to my hygiene. 
Or is this going to be a school shooter type situation where people care for two weeks and then they just go back to not caring? I think this is something that you have to care about long term. And I think it's already been in the media, like in the people's mind yeah, I, for I, I think it's three weeks. Like, I, I, think, I it's, think yeah, it's definitely going to stick around because um, me and Walker have talked about this the impact that it has, it's not specific to one group or one. Um, part of society mm-hmm. so it can affect anyone and everyone so i think it's going to stay around and people are going to become more aware of its impact like for example like they're projecting 200 to 250,000 deaths like people are going to be aware it's going to affect someone it's going to um, directly impact at least someone you know um, in your circle as a mm-hmm. person so i think um when we come out of this, we're going to have a better understanding of our physical health. And I think people are going to be more aware of um, how to handle this situation so it doesn't happen again in the future, whether that be politicians and uh, pandemic leaders or even the common people that, hey, I should listen to my governor when he tells me to stay inside. This entire kind of issue shows how poorly, I mean, me and John have talked the past few days about this how poorly an administration like um, Trump's prepares you for, for an issue like this, um, particularly conservative politics. Now, you know, their foundation is against these types of handouts and against these types of uh, stimulus checks. But I mean, and now it just seems like it's something that they can, you know, they're just pulling money out of nowhere. It's, you know, $2 trillion to fund student uh, debt or to fund uh, education seemed like it was this huge foreign type of thing that could never happen. But now in the wake of the pandemic, it could happen like that. So it's just, it's interesting to see the contradiction there where in before this was all happening, it's like these uh, conservatives are very afraid of spending all this money, but then it kind of can just come out of the air um, out of nowhere when it, when it needs to. Um, and I mean, again, back to um, kind of a critique of the conservative um, foundation of, of, you know, just politics in general, you know, against raising the minimum wage and stuff like that. It's, it's now our, our, our country is, is depending on the people who make $15 an hour. We're depending on those types of people. Those are the essential businesses. The businesses that are open are the people who are making, other than doctors, of course, but the people who, who stuff groceries, grocery shelves, those types of people, um, you know, for a very long time, I think people turn a blind eye to those types of workers and their significance in society until a time like now where you realize how important those jobs are. So it sucks that it, it, it takes such um, a horrible time to realize, um, realize uh you know some of these issues and it 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 shouldn't be that way you shouldn't need something this drastic to happen Um, to follow your point walker like the whole argument that the republican uh, party has been voicing for the past five ten ten years of who's going to pay for it um where's this money coming from it all went out the window they had everyone mm-hmm. sign the two trillion dollar bill. Like, where did that money come from? And all of a sudden, because this issue is now affecting everyone and not just 
minorities yeah. yep. or people of color, it's all of a sudden it's an issue and all of a sudden, oh, I can get behind this. But when it's people of minorities or people of color that have been kind of oppressed and not had the, the resources available to them for ever since the beginning of the United States, oh, that's anti-American. That's, that's uh, socialism. That's progressive. It's too progressive. Like, there was none of those arguments a couple weeks ago when the Congress signed that bill. So I think it's going, this is going to have a traumatic change on the political structure of the country in the coming future. I think we're going to come to realize that they don't have an argument anymore when it comes to, uh, let's say, Medicare for all or ensuring that every student has access to higher education. Like, this argument is going to be invalid because they spent $2 trillion to support um, the country, specifically uh, businesses at the moment. But that's besides the point. Yeah, all the. They're ending up, uh, they're investing 26 into the safety net, uh, 153 billion into uh, public health, and 43 billion into education. But 500 billion is going to big corporations, and 377 billion is going to small businesses. Oh, and 500 most of those billions that don't have any um, stipulations on where that money goes. So we could end up seeing uh, CEOs and bigwigs receiving the the financial gain of this at the end of the, the end of the year. I th- I think I think that's a foregone conclusion at this point. I think that some people are going to benefit and a lot of people are going to mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but because there are no safeguards established in some of these sectors, uh, we just don't have we just don't have that protection. What do you What do you guys uh, to change up again? But um, it just makes me think uh, when we talk about the stimulus checks funding, where it's coming from. What do you guys think about college students not receiving the stimulus checks? I'm a little disappointed, honestly. Um, I work, and I, I obviously come from a very different background, so I don't need the money per se, but to be making money and saving up and to just be trying to build for the future, like it, it does mm-hmm. kind of suck because I... I just got promoted at my job at school, and I was I was going to be working more at a higher rate. So, like, obviously, I was I was looking forward to that, and then just to lose that because of this virus. And then, since since it's like a, a place on campus, like it's closed until campus is open. So I don't know when I'll be able to go. Yeah, to I it. mean, and, my biggest issue, and. I don't know. There's a there could be a lot of different reasons behind you know college students not receiving checks. You, there's a whole tax argument, the dependence, and that's a whole nother part of this. But um, you know, I'm a college student. You're a college student. I got laid off. John, you got laid off. Nick, you got it. We all got laid off. And um, I think there's almost this kind of discourse that college students are somewhat irresponsible and that I think that that is some of the rationality behind this. Um, I, I think that's but fair I, too. But you, you'd think that I the, think you, the, the counter argument could be these kids are going to be spending the most their, their money irresponsibly. So they're going to put the most money in the economy. Back to the, the, the tax argument. Um, you know, they say you're not going to get the check because you're dependent on, on your family and they, when the, the logic there is 
when times are tough, you can go back to your family and they'll feed you, whatever. But to be claimed as a dependent, you know, I know people who are claimed as dependents, but their parents claim them as dependent solely because the tax they pay off. for their phone, their tax write-off, or they, they just pay for their phone bill. And that kid still pays their rent. They still pay for their food. And the, and then, you know, they're not getting the money. So the, the logic here is very strange because then if you, there are people who are making, who are just a year older than me, not even a year, you know, I'm a senior officer, like I said, who are six months older than me, who are making $70,000 a year. Those people are getting a stimulus check and I'm sitting here with no job, um, paying my rent. I'm, you know, for the most part, buying a lot of my groceries and living off of my tax return. So it's like, it's, there's something there that's, that's not working. And to generalize college students into this similar grouping of, okay, all of these kids can, if they're labeled as a dependent, they'll be fine. Um, I mean, think of all the broken households where uh, 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 an adult claims a kid as a dependent um, and for, for tax write-offs. I mean, there's a lot of different implications here that, I mean, I don't, again, like it could, it, could it be that they think we're irresponsible? I don't know, but it's something that I've been agitated um, by quite a bit. You know, the college students are the poorest demographic in the entire country. So um, that's definitely been something that's been bothering me. I think it's, it's interesting to see like the, the amount of students that are actually are independent right now and they're speaking up. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think universities specifically didn't know how many students kind of fight for themselves and handle their everything on their own. But I don't think the government understands the amount of college students that essentially pay for their own education, pay for their housing and yeah. get by scraping the bottom just to get by. And I think it, I think that's interesting to see that there are a lot of students that do that. There are a lot of students that yeah. kind of pay their own way and their parents mm -hmm. are still claiming them as um, a dependent. Yeah. I mean, I, I think coming from, I guess my parents' perspective is I don't really think uh, boomers or, you know, at least, uh, you know, the older generation understands how many kids are doing just that are paying for their tuition. And I mean, at least it's a, in my house, um, you know, the, the kind of, the kind of conversation is that students shouldn't be getting um, these checks, but that's based off of the rationality of my, you know, my parents do provide quite a bit for me. So if things come, you know, worse to worse, I can go back there, but there are a lot of people who are backing that, that type of, bill where kids aren't receiving these checks that really don't get what it's like to be a college student right now and really don't understand just how many kids are in debt are paying their own ways and that's a product of this just generational gap it's it's there's not you know the college life right now is so much different you know the, the debt the kids haven't provided for themselves it's so much different so i mean it it's it's interesting they also look i mean like I'm pretty sure Canada is in the midst of a bill where they get each citizen gets two thousand a month. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's just crazy to me how these types of handouts are so crazy, and then once a pandemic hits, it's like it's 
everyone's on board. Yeah. Um, if we're on the topic of money um, and we're talking about education, I know that universities are, specifically the University of Delaware, and I know all universities across the country, are trying to figure out how they give the money that was for this semester, whether it be fees or whatnot, back to the students and back to their accounts mm-hmm. because, again, it's not being used. All of it is not being used, but some of it is being used for operational things. So um, in the few weeks to come, we'll probably see um, the university kind of responding and giving uh, the money back to the students' accounts. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how much they actually give back. Um, yeah. I know that our fees are going to be reimbursed, uh, like our our gym fees and all those like student center fees that we're um, paying for and we're not using because we're not on campus. So, well, what about kids on like meal plans? Yep. So that's in the work is works as well. So they're going to reimburse their student accounts, which I think is completely valid. And if they didn't do that, that'd be absurd. But we'll see how much they actually give back. Um, hopefully, it's proportional to the amount that was not used so mm-hmm. Good stuff. yeah of course i mean this is our first crack at this we um, have you know never done this before um learning process obviously we just think that this uh, no better time to kind of um stay politically active so um improvements to come but i hope you know we kind of laid out some important issues um but yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of First State Takes. We'll be back with more of our takes on people, politics, and power.